This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. David Pearson. You know that name. There are three Chevys chasing David Pearson's Mercury as a leader. It is one of the most majestic in all of NASCAR history. The guy could drive as well as anyone who ever sat behind the wheel of a race car, but he was never one to seek out the spotlight. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this. As legendary a career as David Pearson enjoyed, I also believe that he is one of the sport's most underappreciated drivers ever. First of all, you have to start with his mindset. No driver. Pearson still wants to win. On any racetrack. Pearson tries for the lead. Anywhere. Pearson wins it by less than five or ten feet. Was going to live rent-free in David Pearson's head. If you thought someone else was a better driver out there on the racetrack, to David Pearson, the race was already over. David didn't do a lot of talking, but when he did, watch out. I don't know. We know we'll forget. Rusty Waters one time said Earnhardt was the best guy out there driving. He's the best driver there out there. And I said right then, I said, Rusty, if you don't feel like you're the best out there, he's going to beat you every time you get out there. And so Earnhardt liked to kill him three or four times, you know, <laughs> wreck him and everything else. But yet he always still said that about yeah. him. Well, yeah. uh, that's, that's, I don't know. I ain't ever felt that way. I felt like it, uh, if anybody else can do it, I could do it. As David sat in his race car on pit road just moments before the start of the 1961 World 600 at Charlotte, he looked around and told himself that he belonged. If they could be competitive, so could he. Then came the race itself. David ran well that day in his Raymond Fox-owned number three Pontiac, well enough, in fact, to build up a huge lead as the race wound down to its conclusion. With less than three laps to go, David blew a right rear tire. Rather than pit, however, he stayed on the track with second place Fireball Roberts trying desperately to unlap himself. Incredibly, David limped under the checkered flag at maybe 20 miles an hour and with sparks trailing from the mangled rim of the right rear wheel. Every time I'd mash the gas, the rim would just spin on the tire, and, and so I wouldn't run in, I probably wouldn't run in 20 mile an hour, if you don't know the truth, you know. And, uh, of course, Fireball kept zooming by me and running around, you know, and <laughs> kept laughing me, so... Yeah. I, f- I figured I, you know, I'd done lost. I didn't know I was that far ahead. And when I come off the fourth turn, I seen the guy still waving the white flag, you know. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm still leading this thing, you know. <laughs> and so come up and got the checkered flag. David Pearson was on his way. After driving a handful of races at the end of the 1971 season for car owner Ray Nichols and two more at the beginning of 1972 for Bud Moore, David Pearson joined Wood Brothers Racing. With backing from Purolator, it would become one of the most iconic owner-driver-sponsor relationships in the history of NASCAR. Repairing the familiar red, white, and blue number 21 Thunderbird with Neil Bonnet's name over the door. The Wood Brothers return to victory lane at Daytona with 20-year-old Trevor Bain. In a sign of what was to come, David won from the pole in the spring at Darlington. David Pearson in the Purolator Mercury, number 21, came up with the quickest qualifying time and starts on the pole. In his very first start for the Wood Brothers. And there it is, the checkered flag. David Pearson is the winner of the 17th annual Rebel 500. 
Five more victories would follow that season. 1973 would be one for the record book. A very cool, calm, but tired David Pearson climbs out of his car. $15,835 richer. In 18 starts that year, David Pearson captured 11 victories. The white flag snaps down on the Purillator Mercury, number 21. David Pearson need only circle this oval one more time. The team fell out of four races due to either some sort of mechanical failure or crash. Consider this. In the other 14 starts, David and the Wood Brothers finished no lower than third. Third. In one remarkable stretch, David posted nine wins in 10 starts. The other race? David took second behind Buddy Baker in the World 600 at Charlotte. The following season, in 1974, David finished third in the Winston Cup standings despite running just 19 of the 30 races on that year's schedule. It was a perfect combination of driver, team, sponsor, experience, and youthful enthusiasm. Lynn and Eddie Wood, sons of team founder Glenn Wood, were getting their feet wet in the sport. They also had their uncle, Leonard Wood, to fall back on. And tell you the truth, uh, uh, Leonard was, was the one that done all the work. I mean, Eddie and Lynn, which was smaller then, and uh, they was just learning on what to do. And uh, they let them tear the car apart and, and uh, put it back together. But uh, Leonard would check everything them boys done. You know, he uh, went right behind them and redone it to make sure that it was done right and stuff like that. And as far as Glenn, only thing I ever seen him do was pack wheelbarrows. The one competitor most closely associated with David is, of course, Richard Petty. They are the only two drivers who will ever have more than 100 wins at the cup level. Incredibly, Richard and David finished first and second to one another in 63 races. David Pearson and Richard Petty, two laps remaining for the Purillator Mercury and the STP Dodge, two master components in the world of motorsports, trying to compose another victory. Although David won 33 of those races, he never teased Richard about it. Just call it a missed opportunity to rag on the king. We don't even talk about racing when we get around each other. You know, we always got something else or going on with a bunch of bull, you know, and <laughs> say something about each other, you know, you know, saying what the other ain't done or can't do or something like that. But uh, we, we've we always been good friends, and, uh, you know, he's my hero, you know. And, uh, of course, like I say, if uh, I ever went to a racetrack and, and he was the one that I always looked to and figured if I could beat him, I could win the race. Of all those races, two are most memorable, and both came at Daytona. The first took place on July 4th, 1974, in the track's annual Firecracker 400. As one lap after another clicked away, David was basically out of options. Pearson still out front of the Pure Later Mercury Petty, right behind of the STP Dodge. And the pit crew cannot help you now. It's up to you. You're out there with a couple of laps to go, and David screams off the number two corner. Petty takes him down towards turn number three. Running in first place, he was not in position to make a patented slingshot move for the victory. 
Well, he had me beat if I had, didn't do something. No, I, only way I could beat him is trapped by him, you know. Yeah. And, and I knew that. I knew that I had to get me a running start and go by him that way because I couldn't just follow him and go by him. If it comes down between me and him, I said, I'm going to run second one way or another. There ain't no way I can beat him. But just as the white flag began to wave, David had a thought. This was going to be his last shot. I said, I got to do something to some way or another to try to make him and get in front of me, you know. And so I, he wouldn't do it. I'd slow up and he would not pass me. He'd stay right back there behind me, you know, and he would not try to pass. Pearson dropping behind Richard Petty. Petty goes into the first turn. The SPP dodges in front. When I was coming by, and right when I got to the white flag, I threw my hand up and just cut down to the inside like I was out of gas or something. He shot right by me on the outside. And I said, uh-huh. So just quick as I seen him pull out to go by me, I got back on the throttle. Yeah. And uh, it just ended up just right that I just uh, – and I think that he thought something was wrong anyway because I was far enough back then. Going in one, he probably backed off, you know, a little yeah. bit. Richard taking the lead was the first part of David's plan. Going down the back stretch, uh, I was really drafting. That old Mercury would draft real good. If it just smelled another car up in front of it, it would it would really you know break the wind and go on. If it was a big old square front end on it, it would really break a lot of wind. And as long as the car in front of it, I could really draft and pick up a lot of speed. As quickly as Richard had gotten by him the lap before, David returned the favor coming off the final corner toward the checkered flag. David Pearson now moving up on Richard Petty, but Petty has the lead. There's five car lengths still between them, and Petty goes into the second set of turns in the lead. I caught him down, uh, going down the back stretch there, up close to him, and coming off a of four, I caught him enough that I just ducked right down and, and went by him, started by him, and he run me down on the apron. One car separation as they head for the checkers. Then, and yeah. he done that, and uh, I beat him. Here comes Pearson down the inside. It could be a dead heat finish at the line. David Pearson wins it. Pearson wins it by less than five or ten feet. He came with a slingshot out of turn number four. After the race, Richard was not pleased with David and expressed his frustration with what he considered a dangerous move. But then listen to David discussing the incident more than 35 years later and the competitive fire that defined his career is still evident in his voice. After race, he said that that was a dangerous move I pulled. It wasn't half as dangerous as he was running me down on the apron, you know, as far as that goes. But uh, anyway, he got ticked off about it. The best-known one-two finish between David and Richard was at the same time one of the most legendary in NASCAR history. Coming off turn four on the final lap of the 1976 Daytona 500, the two drivers collided as they raced for the win. Richard nosed into the outside retaining wall while David spun to the inside. Could either driver get going again and limp across the finish line? White flag is out. One lap to go. Keep your eye on the rear vision mirror. Everybody is standing here at the Daytona International Speedway. Was third place Benny Parsons, who was a full lap behind, about to inherit the most miraculous victory of his career and win his second Daytona 500 in a row. At that point, anything was possible. 
watching myself. We tangled up, you know, and uh, we both spun around, and uh, Richard's car stalled with him, and uh, I kept mine running. And by the time I got turned around and uh, went back and uh, got on the racetrack and got to the chicken flag, I was running about 20 or 30 miles an hour. <laughs> now has the lead. Teddy tries to, as they come out of the fourth turn. They only have about 750 yards to go. Oh, oh. Teddy smashes into the wall. Will he come across the start finish line? Here comes Pearson. Pearson is going to try to make it across the finish line. Teddy has his car going. Pearson's going to win it. Oh, guys, Randall, he wins the race. Yeah, David Pearson, the winner of the Wiki Daniels, they taught a 500. It's one of the most spectacular finishes any auto race has ever had. Legend has sometimes held that the lap car driven by Joe Frason helped get David turned around and headed in the right direction. That is not a suggestion that sat well with the driver of the beautiful number 21 Wood Brothers Racing Ford. Another thing happened there, uh, I was in the grass part right in the pit road there, and uh, some of them people said that Joe Frazon come down the pit road and hit the front end of my car and turned it around towards the start and finish line and went on. But that's not true. Now, Joe Frazon did come down through there and just snibbed the front end of my car, but my car would not turn to the right. If they look at the fam, I backed up and turned around and made a circle to the left and went out on the racetrack that way. Of course, uh, Joe is known to try to get in a wreck and everything else, you know, <laughs> anyway, but uh, uh, he didn't help me win it, that's for sure. Remarkably, David and Richard never seriously criticized the other for his role in the famous mishap. No fingers were pointed, and there were no conspiracy theories on what had happened. Richard's fans had their opinions, and so did David's. But that was that. But David and Richard themselves, they were just going for one of the most coveted prizes the sport has to offer, a win in the Daytona 500. No, we was just racing, you know, no doubt about it. David's answer to my next question was the very definition of what it means to be a racer. Was there anything that he could have done to prevent the accident from happening? Oh, yeah. I could have backed off. <laughs> <laughs> but that ain't racing. You know, back then, we could draft and pass somebody coming off four and beat them to the start and finish line. He knew if he got in front of me, there's no way I could get back by him by the time I got out. I was coming off four, see? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I kept mine running and he didn't. David Pearson won, get this, 43 races while driving for the Wood Brothers. 43 was, of course, the number made famous by Richard Petty. Petty content to stay right on the tail end of David Pearson, staying directly in that draft, not making any move high or low, but ready to roll all the dice on the last lap. Front two automobiles moving by, and the two-lap mark comes out for David Pearson and Richard Petty. David Pearson is on my Mount Rushmore of NASCAR drivers. Three are for certain and not up for debate, at least when it comes to my opinion. David Pearson, Richard Petty, and Dale Earnhardt, the three best drivers in NASCAR history. Honestly, when I asked David who he thought was the greatest race car driver of all time, the answer he gave was not the one I was expecting. 
I thought he might give me a standard and politically correct answer. So, David, you're one of the two or three greatest drivers who ever lived. Where would you rank yourself? Number one. (laughs) If you don't feel like you're the best out there, you're going to get beat. No doubt about it. David died on November 12, 2018. The interview included in this episode was conducted in December 2009. Rest well, David. We will never forget you. Have an idea for a glorious racing story? Share it with us by emailing glorious at dirtymomedia.com. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland, executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Special thanks to Leah Vaughn. Broadcast audio is credited to MRN. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Check out Dirty Mo Media. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.